Testing, testing. All right. Hello, everybody. This is Smith post-editing. Um, the episode's already, but we realized we forgot to make a brief announcement, so I'll just give that to you here real quick, which is that if you didn't make it to our Fortichka pop-up with all the Russian fashion that we did at the beginning of December in New York City, you are in luck. Uh, we're selling off the remainder of the inventory on Instagram over the next couple of months. So if you don't follow us on Instagram, go ahead and do that now. It's, you can, I think our username is, yes, our username is Fortichka underscore. Um, if you don't have Instagram, you can just look at it on the web, like on the Instagram web thing and be like, oh, I like that. And then if you want to email us at she's in Russia at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter. I opened those this morning so you can do that. So keep your eyes peeled. If you missed it, you might not be out of luck. All right. So back to the actual show. Um, you're going to hear Lily going to a Stolovaya. А сырники можно? Сырники можно? Еще черный чай, пожалуйста. Сырники, витамины, черный чай с сахаром? Да. This shit feel like I won't ever make it home Traffic's backed up, I got to get off of this road From St. Petersburg and Brooklyn This is She's in Russia, I'm Lilette And I'm a smith <laughs> Yes <laughs> Yeah, so I have my swing. <laughs> and I'm a Lille. Okay. Um, <laughs> and this is a she's in Italia. <laughs> she's in Italia. <laughs> Italia. She is a spaghetti and I'm a ball. <laughs> <laughs> we know which one's which. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Why don't you tell me what I'm going to tell you about? <laughs> You're going to tell me about the Stolovias. What's the plural for stolovaya in Russian? Stolovaya. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's not say that. Okay. Honestly, I'd probably just say stolovayas with an mm-hmm. S because I like it better. Yep. I'm, I'm like, the history of the stolovaya in Well, maybe Russia. tell a person what it is. Tell that's, a body. That's a good idea. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're really on to something there, Miss. So the concept of a stolovaya is pretty much a Soviet phenomenon, and it's it's like a cafeteria, uh, self service at least in like its current and latest form. Well, it's not self service. Self service 
Some, oh, well, some of it is, but then sometimes the lady spoons. Oh, okay. Sorry. What is that called? Not self-service, but like when you... It's like a combo. Like a buffet. Though. Like when you it's go a, through and like... Yeah, but, but somebody, not a self-service but, but, Yeah. So, okay. So, let me start over. <laughs> a stolova, uh, uh is like a cafeteria where you get food on a tray and you go like a school cafeteria. Somebody like serves you food from behind glass. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's self-service because like you can take things, a few things yourself, like you know, maybe it's like salads a bun. or a bun. And it's like, you know, a, like a limited selection of particularly in Russia, it's like Soviet slash Russian food and very cheap. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. So stolovaya, it's actually the word for dining room oh. and the word stole is table. Okay, wait, so would you... Would you say, like, would you refer to the dining room in your house as a stolova? Yeah, if you had one, which you would be not right. <laughs> I mean, it's very uncommon to have a separate if dining room. If you're, like, a straight-up aristocrat. Yeah, dining rooms are bourgeois trash. Extra room with that some, like, seven people could sleep in. You just have a huge <laughs> table there. It's like, we could get bunks on each wall. But actually, like... Especially, I mean, yeah, the way Soviet apartments are laid out, Soviet and post-Soviet is like mostly there are just bedrooms and a kitchen and there's no common space like a living room or a dining room other than the kitchen. And like especially, so in a communal apartment, then you just have, you know, like a family in a communal apartment, you know, of whatever, two to however many people, depending on how many kids are, lives in a room and then like shares the kitchen with everyone else in the apartment. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. There's no like living room. But in even wait, in wait, a... Wait, wait. I, this is a kind of sidetrack, but what is the I, what is the layout of those new suburb towers? Do they not have a living room either? I doubt they do. It's like mm. most people... Uh, this is the, the confusing thing when you're like a foreigner and you come to Russia and you're like looking at like renting an apartment and real estate in general. It's like... Remember this, like a two bedroom. Yeah. It's really it. It's a two room apartment. That's what that means. It's like, I mean, sometimes it says bedroom, but basically, like my apartment has my apartment is a one bedroom. That means it has a one room for the bedroom and a kitchen and a bathroom. I mean that that is a one bedroom. In it a, is, in, a one but bedroom. like you guys have a living room, for example. That we have a living room. Could right. definitely right. be like a third bedroom yeah. in Russia. Yeah. It would hundred well, percent be. I mean, it's a walkthrough, but it would be laid out differently. But anyway, yeah. So the thing about Stolova is, is like when we talk about them, we are talking about something that is like particularly Soviet-born, uh, at least this like typical manifestation of a Stolova. One thing that I think like is hard to remember or like imagine is just that like there was just a huge variety of places to eat, like public places to eat during the Soviet era and pre-Soviet, but like. Pre-Soviet, we're talking about different things. We're talking about, like, taverns and pubs and, like, restaurants that are expensive and stuff. And then in the Soviet era, there's still, like, a, a large variety, but, like, different types. So there's stolovaya, stolovaya. There's, like, beer stands. That would be just, like, a place where you sort of, like, line up and there's, like, a bar outside and you don't really stay mm-hmm. there. There's no seats. A pelmenaya, which is, like, a place where you get pelmeni. <laughs> you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Um, a zakusichnaya, which is like a place where you get snacks, and it's often sort of like hybrid together with a rumenchnaya, which is the vodka house, which also has snacks. 
Pishichnaya, which is a place where you get fried dough that's like sort of the equivalent of donuts, but donuts are becoming a thing now in Russia, but like they weren't before. So it's just like more like, it's more like beignet. It's like fried dough okay. with like powdered sugar. And then, mm-hmm. and then you, you have cafes, which I'll talk about a little bit later. It's like a sort of between a stolovite and a restaurant. And then you have a restaurant, which is like fancy. There's like, there's more. Pirozh, Pirozhkovi, which is like where you would get piragi, the, the pies. God, everything's so specialized. Yeah, so there's like this, this specialization, which I think is really nice. It's just like, you know, I get this thing at that place. And there's still, there still are, I've definitely seen like, Pushichny and Solova, as you see all the time, like contemporary Petersburg, Moscow. Like, many, like I recently saw one on Nevsky, and so I think that kind of thing is like sort of like a returned in the form of a kind of Kitch. new age. Yeah, it's not, it's not even kitschy. It's like doesn't look Soviet uh, aesthetically, mm-hmm. but it's like this is sort of n- using nostalgia to like harken back to this thing that existed, what you could only get from any, but it's like in the sort of new style where everything's great right. it's and like, like how minimal. there's like a general store in bed but it's like two young white hip girls that run it and oh like my God. overalls and salmation jars that's really funny yeah yeah um to give you some background of what sort of happened when um like right after the revolution the soviet union is sort of like all the all the organizations and ministries and like the systems of the Soviet Union are just sort of coming into being in the you know late teens early 20s and one of the biggest problems is food or just like things that something that needs to be solved and organized it's like how do we feed the workers and this concept that workers and students and just everyone like Soviet citizens need to be provided with food at least during the day is like a, sort of an immediate decision and the way that like manifests is in basically cafeteria type places like Stolova's in a factory in a school which we have also in like institute whatever so basically mm-hmm. in any kind of established or institution enterprise the sort of like basic goal of a Stolova is to serve a three course so like you get a yeah you get like a salad a main course and then a dessert for during the day for lunch like there there are still ways that are open for other meals but it's more like that's like the main goal is to like cover during the day but I think honestly I think in schools like a lot of times they were three meals or something you know it's like Mm. kids definitely ate in Soviet schools like really really well compared to my like single weed cracker and a cup of juice, which is, which is my snack. But then Wait, I, are you talking about Waldorf? Or are you talking about Masters? No, Blue Rock. But that was our snack. But then you you were supposed to bring lunch. Like uh, you were eating yeah. pack lunch. Yeah. That's kind of fucked up. It's like, I'm paying to be here and you're not going to feed me. Yeah. If Masters fed us like very nicely. But yeah. yeah. I mean, Blue Rock, I don't know. And then I would be like, all I want in life is a Lunchables. And it would never be allowed <laughs> to happen. I don't think, have you ever had a Lunchable? I mean, I think my mom maybe let me have one once or like I tried one of those like the pieces of bologna rubber from a friend. I mean, they're horrible. I mean, yeah, they're obviously horrible, but I really don't like that. Like now it would be objectively horrible and I wouldn't enjoy eating it. But there's a time in my life when I would have enjoyed eating it. And it's sad that I never got to experience that. 
hear that mom a lunchable <laughs> yeah let your uber healthy kid eat a lunchable one time back back to the ussr a little bit so a couple of things are happening in the early 1920s there is the start of the new economic policy nep it's do you know what that is isn't it just like a series of um different public works projects um no, it's more like it's more like a planned temporary economic policy or situation in which there was supposed to be sort of like more free market and more capitalism oh, that was okay. like that. subject to state control. So basically what ma- what that meant was that private individuals were were allowed to own their small enterprises and okay. um including food ones and they paid taxes, like very high taxes to do because that. Because this the state realized like it didn't have the resources to just immediately take over all production. Yeah. Essentially it was Lenin's like idea to sort of like slow more slowly transition towards the bright future of communism. Mm-hmm. And okay. yeah, and the people who, who did that, the people who made their own businesses, opened restaurants or whatever, um, were called were like referred to as net men or net women. And they were like the nouveau riche of that time. They were like, mm-hmm. um, eventually, and, and Stalin got rid of that pretty quick in 1928. <laughs> Nip that Trying one in the blight, the, the bright future of communism. <laughs> yeah, he was like, fuck that, too much capitalism. But basically what happened was there had been, the, the NEP system kind of made a little bit of like competition for what had been set up as like public cafeterias and restaurants that were mostly in institutions yeah and then in 1923 so anytime you any all the reading i did about the history of the stolova history of like public collective food or whatever in the soviet Mm -hmm. union um referred to this moment in 1923 so just a few years just a few years into the nap time a bunch of like various government organizations create this sort of body called Narodnaya Pitanya, Narpit, because <laughs> Soviets like to, the Soviets like to shorten things. <laughs> it sounds so bad in English. It does. Narpit, <laughs> Narwhal, Narpit, and that like organization ever was made to basically. It was like a leveling up of the socialization of food in the sense of creating an ideology, creating theory, like getting professional, you know, dietitians, whatever, to like figure out what actually is the best food for somebody to Mm. eat. And they went nuts about that. And like, as you might imagine, sort of the way um, the decision in terms of like what the Soviet person should eat was became very scientific and very like rigid and kind of pedantic at some point the like rations or whatever or the ideal type of food was broken down by like type of person and also not type of person like age and also profession okay and it was like oh profession yeah and there was like a assigned amount of calories for each profession like for example accountants and librarians 2400 calories a day teachers 2800 Male, male man, male people, 3,200. Damn, a lot of walking. And like hard labor, construction workers and stuff, 4,000 calories. Whoa. Yeah. That was broken down even in more detail in terms of like what exact foods 
are best to be served and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. That kind of stuff feels, I don't, that feels really advanced to me or something. Yeah. I mean, it's scientific. I mean, even if it's kind of silly, it's like, yeah, there were people who like, that was what they do. And then they put together like a book that's like, right. And that it was a concerted effort across a civilization that just like, I don't know. I mean, I guess people know better, but just doesn't feel like that happens really anymore. I mean, yeah, it's also hard to imagine, like, it's such a specific situation in which you could then implement that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, in 1928, um, a book is published called something like Grocery or Product Norms for Lunch, Separate Dishes, and Other Products of Public Cafeterias. So it's just, like, a bunch of standardized information. So it's easier, sort of what I mean by being like easy to implement is just that like, especially in the concept of having a cafeteria in like a particular factory, a particular workplace, you know, you like know the type of people who work there and it's easier to provide specifically for them. One thing that the, uh, I feel like I came across this in the very little that there was in English on Slovis, but the whole concept of having the place you eat also in the place you work is something that's definitely still used today because it like it's really efficient and it incentivizes you to work at that place because you're being fed yeah. good food yeah and it's, it's a little yeah. fucked up in modern times i feel like because i don't know it gets used really heavily in like tech companies for sure where they just like want their young workers to work all the time and not like leave for an actual full hour during lunch they just want you to like stuff your face in the cafeteria and go back to your computer yeah and like it's part of the sort of um, like paternalistic or maternalistic, whatever mm-hmm. um, relationship between like the worker and the employer. Maternalistic. What? It's not something that people say. I don't think maternalistic. Not in that context, no. Mm, because it has mm. to be paternal. Potter. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. You you know your dad's not the one feeding you. Yeah, I know it's true. But paternalistic, I feel like, is always used in the setting where it's like a negative connotation, where something is being demanded of your life, and maternalistic is used warm and fuzzy. When yeah, I mean, but you get what I'm saying. Like this sort of control yeah, of your personal mm-hmm. time and space, and yeah, it's a good right. it's a good comparison. I think like just early Soviet ideology we've talked about this when we talked about like the what was it motherhood was it was it the mother episode where we talked about like abortion laws and stuff in the early Mm, yeah what i always like to remind people of is that early soviet ideology and um implementation of that ideology like is different from the rest of the time and it wasn't like always stable and the same but there was definitely like a charge of like we're actually going to do this and like build a new society from scratch and yeah. that that's a intense thing to imagine so even it is if, it, you know, it yeah. is an intense thing to imagine and i feel like oftentimes in those settings we're like we're going to build a new thing like the n- nobody actually even tries I mean, so it's i'm cool not saying everyone tried. was like super excited about it but the real things like actually were built for example this thing called a factory kitchen it was just like a centralization of of food production and processing that supplied something like a communal dining room, like a stolovaya basically, but not exactly a stolovaya, a massive cafeteria. Or okay. you could like purchase food there. The first one is uh, appears in 1925 in a city called, that's today called Ivanova, which is 
outside of Moscow, which is interesting to me because it's just interesting that it wasn't in Moscow or Petersburg. These factory kitchens, so they employed a bunch of people. They were built specifically in this like constructivist style, which is really cool because they, it's like a very particular Soviet architectural style that like is, I feel like it, it like had a short-lived moment or something. Like it's kind of rare, I don't know. I'll send you gray, blocky. Whoa, Whoa yeah. And like, see, it says Stolovaya on one it side. Looks like a, it looks like a government building for sure. Yeah, and you can see how the, so basically you can see there's different levels. There's a lot of windows. Um, and one of the things like that this group that I mentioned, this like Narpit, and <laughs> one of their ideological claims is like people need to not only eat healthy food that, you know, keeps them strong and lets them work harder or whatever, but they also need to have a, a relaxing and like aesthetically pleasant environment in which to eat that sort of like lets them psychologically rest from whatever work they were doing. Mm -hmm. So something like this giant factory kitchen would have like maybe one floor is the, it's not exactly a stolova in the sense of the buffet thing. I think it probably is slightly differently laid out, but it looks like a, just a big dining hall. And then another floor would have like, you know, rest rooms or something where you just like sit and there's like music and plants. I don't know. Uh, um, and that uh, is, <laughs> but they're big and like window filled and, you know, light. That's like the philosophy sort of like coming through in the architecture. So this is something, this is like a phenomenon of the early era. And then basically we have like the war, as always. Oh, one thing, the one of the, like, the one other fact that I came across was that also these communal kitchens and stolovias were, like, a really good way to decrease the responsibility of domestic duties on women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. So, one of the, I didn't mention that, one of the main, like, philosophies of right away, like, Lenin, etc., of um, having communal food is freeing up women's labor like it's basically being you know the whole like, kitchen the yeah to work in the factory um, and get paid and be like a citizen contributing to society rather than to domestic comfort so right. so yeah like the this is the 20s and 30s are when we see a lot of posters and like propaganda talking about freeing women from kitchen slavery as it's called like and lots of sort of calls to arms, you know, like throw down the pots and pans and like pick up the anvil, pick up the factory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and it's like that, that's very much, that's very much a part of the, again, early Soviet mentality is like, we need to completely break down the um, bourgeois tradition of a, even of a family and like of um, home life basically um, and bring everything sort of out into public where people are where you're where you're interacting with your fellow comrades all together and like more group things my nightmare <sighs> yeah it's you get to hang out with your coworkers all the time now oh, yeah yay they're not just your coworkers; they're your comrades <laughs> <laughs> and then also remember this with like the kids thing about like wanting to free women from childcare, also and having like this concept of also, you know, like we need to train children to be like 
true Soviet citizens and like the parents don't know what they're doing. Like they should be right. trained by a caretaker who's tr- who knows, you know, ideologically right. red marks and stuff. And that worked out real well. I wonder if there was ever a concerted effort to release women from childbirth as well. Like, do you think the early Soviet government was looking into how to grow people in Petri dishes? I mean... I don't. That doesn't seem out of the realm possibility at all. It doesn't, no. Well, it's the same thing with food, basically. It was like, you don't know what's nutritious for you and, like, what's the best thing for you. We have, you know, scientists and doctors and nutritionists studying this stuff. They should prepare the menu for you. Right. And provide the food. Like, you shouldn't be, like, why, why would you handle that? You don't know what you're doing. It's like Which, like, in theory might be right. It's just, like, that kind of dogmatic approach to literally everything is when things get fucked up. Well, yeah, and it's just, like, constant state intervention and constant... I mean, mm-hmm. the thing is that the, the reality is that people still ate at home a lot. I mean, like, depo- I mean, maybe not lunch, but, like, most people didn't you know, fully buy into this, like, utopia, and the utopia wasn't necessarily, didn't, of course, it didn't work right away, and, like, a lot of times, like, in, in cafeterias or in whatever, um, any, any kind of, like, public food place, there would be shortages of stuff, or, like, there was corruption, people, maybe people who work there were, like, stealing some, you know, there was some good meat came through, people who worked at the Stolova maybe stole it and then take home and then, like, you know, put in more, like, bread in the, uh, in the, like, hamburger or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. so it's, like, nothing, of course, it it wasn't, like, everything was perfect and working all the time. Okay, let's talk about the war. Okay, well, the, I mean, it's not, I don't exactly have anything to say in the war. The war just is always, like, a marker. Um... Okay, so what's interesting is apparently the the Stolovia as we know it, rumor has it, that exists in contemporary Russia, that is this like sort of like hybrid of self service and um, you know canteen style cafeteria style where someone's serving you from behind glass, that, as I suspected, actually apparently did come from America. Oh, as I suspected, out of the blue. So let's 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 watch for show you. Oh, okay. All right. Wait, wait, sorry. Explain. So post-war, that's when this like hybrid thing becomes a thing? That's what I, that's what I was understanding because it wasn't like really clear. You know, I'm sure they I I'm not sure, but I think that people there was something more like a server in the early years because maybe not taking your okay. order, but maybe bringing out stuff. Just because mm. of this, like okay. th- this video we're about to watch, which is right. which I read in a couple of places. Maybe it's a myth, but that's what that's what I that's what I read. Let's watch it. Okay. When the American government they try to find out who want to host Khrushchev, it was the president of IBM company, Tom Watson, who told, "Yes, I want to show him my achievement. I will host it him." And he was touring him around this factory, showing the production of the computers. So my father looked around this, and he looked thought, it oh, yes, we also have computers, maybe even better than yours. For him, most interesting was not the production of the computers, but the cafeteria, because it was self-service, and we didn't have this invention in the Soviet Union. 
here you see the, this very clean uh, plastic tables and you yourself bringing tray in there. So he told, oh, I like it. And he returned to Moscow and gave order, do the same as Americans doing. You have to copy that and do self-service in our cafeteria, in our plants. Wow, that was an excellent clip. <laughs> Thank you. Spot on. Yeah, isn't that crazy that I also just thought of it at the last second? I was like, wait, this might exist. And it did. Yeah, wow, that's nice. This, this is part of a whole thing, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't look into it. The I was too Cold busy. Cold War Roadshow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Khrushchev, yes. It's a whole thing when Khrushchev visited uh, the U.S. I think it was in 59. And he went to all the shows of, like, all the new you know, kitchen appliances where they're, like, shown in a place, you know, where, like, ladies are showing you how to use them. He went yeah. to, like, IBM, saw their factory, and, like, saw their their cafeteria, which he got really excited about. Um, so that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying, like, I'm not exactly sure what the form was in, like, in the kitchen factories of mm -hmm. service, but it sounds like it wasn't self-serve and it wasn't you know hold a tray it was like you right, sit at a table yeah. and somebody brings you out something really fast like according you. to Khrushchev's son I mean that yeah that's not the only person though I read that in like multiple places that like that model was from the IBM cafeteria that's so cool yeah so like wow it's so that's so rare when something's so traceable like that I mean it also seems strange that that like it's because that is the, the you know way Slovis work now and it does seem strange that it would have started as late as like 1960 but mm -hmm. apparently that is what happened so like basically Hushov's goal was to automize automize automatize to make mm -hmm. the process of um you know getting food uh automate uh, to automate it and to make it like as human-less as possible. So ideally, he wanted there to be no, like, hybrid. Ideally, he wanted you to just, like, either you you pick it yourself and then, like, you know, you put the tray back yourself and then, like, a dishwasher machine washes it. And, mm -hmm. and like, even machines... In the 80s, there was a Stolovoy like this. I think it was in the 80s. That was, like, the fulfillment of Rousseau's dream. But it, he was already not the head of the state anymore. But, like, it was, like, a... It, like, somehow, somehow machines served the food also, which is uh, gross. I hate that shit. Yeah, it's fucked up. But the, the yeah. furthest I'm willing to go is that conveyor belt where you put the dishes on the belt. I mean, we're getting into that right now with our, like, iPad ordering. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm again. Well, I am too, but we're getting into it. We have like, I know like, America. that sucks. Like those Japanese ones where you like order and then it comes out of a box and you don't see a single soul. Yeah, it's gross. I agree. But yeah, so he, so this like making it automated, making it more efficient, um, making it so that you. Oh, and also few long. He was like really excited about the fact that he didn't wait in line because he just sort of went along. Like yeah, there's like a line, but people are just moving along with their tray. That was like mm. great. Yeah, um, I also enjoy the cafeteria experience. I'm, I'm on board with this. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to like see the selection of food and be like that, that, and that, um, <laughs> and that, and that. And that. <laughs> <laughs> the selection you mean all the things you're gonna put on your plate. Yeah. Oh damn! I forgot to mention this guy. Maybe pre. Hold on. He's just a funny thing to mention. Let me just check his name. Manuel Isakovich Bevzner. 
He was one of the organizers of the Institute of, like, of food, of nutrition in Moscow. So just to go back a little bit, just because, like, he has really specific uh, ideologies about food. He was one of the people who was, like, very vocal in the 30s, et cetera, 40s, about um, food being, like, food for the proletariat is not, first of all, it doesn't have to be, like, yummy. <laughs> it's, like, more, more important that it's nutritious and filling, and that he mm-hmm. also specifically was, wanted the food to be bland, because he oh. said if it was spicy or like peppery or and anything that's like too Flavor. sharp sharp or flavorful according to him would was like too exciting like it excited your senses too much <laughs> and like the brain would get the little like pleb brain would get overwhelmed or i think he just wanted people to like he didn't want people to you know have like have a some kind of emotional more like he he wanted food to just be like calming like bland and calming was the word that was used like things things also shouldn't be fried they shouldn't be fried they shouldn't be um spicy they should just be like either boiled or like baked and just like Uh, you know soft and calm this guy would have loved soylent (laughs) yeah he would have been like yes yes and so this is this is where we get like a lot of, I mean a lot of Soviet Russian food is like that. You know you have you have mashed potatoes, you have um, this like the kat- katlete, which are like kind of like hamburgers, but they have you know you can do them out of different kinds of meat. It's ground up and then it has like maybe like onions and bread in it also. Mm. Everything's sort of like subdued. Subdued, uh, and like. Not that he thought of everything, but that was his, definitely his philosophy. And I think it just, like, explains a lot. Let's get into some foods that you would find in Estolova. That's fun. So, I mean, at different times, like, different things. But as I said, there's sort of this, like, standard of having, like, a three-course lunch. And that would be, the first course is going to be a salad or a soup. Well, you remember what the salads are. Like, the sort of mm-hmm. most basic one would be something like grated carrot or grated um, cabbage. cabbage or beets. Yeah, beets. And then like, you know, mayonnaise on it or something. Or like chopped, finely chopped vegetables, like a vinaigrette salad in Russia is like chopped potatoes, chopped very small pieces of potato, um, beet, probably onion, and missing something important, peas. Okay. <laughs> With like really a salad, but okay. Yeah, but that's what like Russian salads are just like finely chopped ingredients with like some kind of sauce that's generally mayonnaise. And then, I mean, then you get like there's like the classic like New Year's salads. And nowadays, they definitely are served in salovas, something like Olivier or um, do you know the what's literally translated as herring under a fur coat? <laughs> no, it's selyotka <laughs> pod um, it's selyotka, which is uh, like pickled herring, remember? Mm-hmm. And then like, uh, I forget what it is. It's like three layers of like, I guess onion and then the shuba. The fur coat, I guess, is a bunch of beets, but like mixed with mayonnaise, like okay. shredded. And that might be, it might be that three layers like that. And is it considered, that's a salad. It's not baked or it anything. It is considered, it's a salad. It's cold. And okay. it, 
Okay. I really, I mean, it's a lot. Like, <laughs> it doesn't taste bad, but it's just, like, so rich because it's just, like, mayonnaise and, like, fish and onion and beets. And I was, like, I, I have had, like, one bite and been, like, okay, every time. <laughs> like, I can't have a full portion of that. It's just, like, it's a lot. Okay, so that was salads. And then something very plain for the main course. It could just be, like, cutleti with maybe some mashed potatoes or some kind of fish, maybe like baked or something. A lot of times now you get like things like fish or meat are just like, for some reason they have like melted cheese on them. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, I had that once. Uh, with like kind of mayonnaise in it too? Yeah, it's like kind of gross. Yeah. And then um, like the, the sides, you know, grechka, potatoes, rice, some kind of grain. Okay. Or starch. And then, like, the classic, apparently, classic Stolova dessert is a drink, like kampot, which is made from dried fruit. But it's it's not viscous, right? It's, like, it's liquid. liquid. Yeah. And you just drink not, it. Okay. But, like, nowadays, there's, like, cakes and stuff. Yeah. Cake. Okay, okay. And, like, little piroshki, little buns with stuff in them. Mm-hmm. At this point, like, modern-day ones have just, like, I think a really large selection. I think the selection is larger than it was, you know? Yeah, but it's still in the vein of things you've described, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's always a meat, but at some point, they made a fish day to deal, basically because there was, like, a shortage of good meat. There was sort of, like, at some point, it was instituted that, that Thursdays are fish days. So you always eat fish on Thursdays, uh, which seems, like, religious to me or something. But It does, yeah. Wait, isn't there a fish thing on... Fridays? Friday? Yeah, yeah. fish Friday. Something like that. I don't know. Showing Jesus our, likes fish. Showing our ignorance. Jesus yeah. likes fish. Hey. We don't know. I feel like also you're you're failing to remark on one of the greatest things about Salova. <sighs> I said they were cheap, but like, but how cheap are they? Cheap. <laughs> okay, yeah. Why don't you talk it's about that? So I I mean I can't remember the exact price, but I have a distinct memory of us going and you know being our usual glutton selves and getting whatever we wanted and it being like. Maybe in total $5, maybe. Yeah. Something around there. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. Multiple, like soup and salad and buns and like a main dish and a grain and a dessert and a juice. And each of us got that and it was like five bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. You can definitely eat for like a few dollars. Yeah. And you, if you're careful, you could like be healthy at a slow buy. It's not like, it's not fast food by any means yeah in that and traditional sense yeah and that's an important distinction because that was i think important for like it never was supposed to be like that it was always supposed to be healthy even if it well even if the ingredients were you know wanting the idea the idea wasn't to make like a burger and fries it was like to make like home-cooked food right um yeah okay and they succeeded yeah i don't think i i just want to talk about restaurants for a second and then i think Okay. Just check. Yeah, because so okay, we've talked about the fact that people did eat at home anyway. I mean, because yeah, there were like some. I think there were more extreme things, like you know, apartments being built without kitchens at some point. But then, like, you know what I mean? Like that's it's more radical. But then, yeah. like Hushovki, <laughs> people start getting more and more people start getting their own apartment uh, in the sixties and onwards, rather than living in communal apartments, etc. But they still, you know, they have a kitchen and. 
I think a lot of people are eating at home a lot of the time. And then there's always like, you know, there's all the kitchen culture, which we'll talk about another time. And like holiday culture where, you know, you have even in a tiny apartment, like everyone comes and like sits at a long table somehow and just like eats Mm -hmm. a lot. Like those things are important throughout the Soviet era. And I, the like most typical sort of nostalgic versions of them seem to come from post-war time when you sort of get a little bit more of a more people have more privacy yeah and like those are you know those are the times when you like movies coming out from from those times show that sort of like family sitting around the table more and that sort of comes back into like the value system yeah I wonder you think that was in part like a response to the war like wanting to have more kids Probably. Well, yeah, wanting to have more kids and just ha- feeling that, like, if your brother or son or whoever, like, goes off and fights in the war, like, that's a really distinct feeling of loss that's tied to the family. It doesn't feel public. Right. Yeah. So I you, mean, like, would, I feel like that's what happened in America also. Like, people really hunkered down and, like, security became a really big part of, like, you know, like, fencing off your yard and all those sorts of things. Yeah. It's like Internalizing. Point. I mean, atomizing, but like, and so some of it is driven from people and some of it's driven from, a lot of it's driven from the government, but like, yeah, I guess the design architecture too is suburbs and stuff. But I mean, yeah, yeah. as you know, in Russia, that didn't happen. Yeah. No suburbs. Not like that. Isolated. Yeah. And for ideological right. reasons. Did you, okay. Did you pick a, um, oh, it's interesting that I wanted to talk about envy because I read in multiple articles, people referenced that. They're like, in his novel, Envy, Yuri Alesha talks about a net man. Oh, all right, nice. Okay, do you want to properly introduce the book? And then I picked one. I mean, I didn't get that far in. It's but pretty early on, the, the like parts where he talks about. I just wanted, I don't know what you're going to read. I've selected a passage, but why don't you introduce the book as a whole, and then I can read the passage. There is a novella called Envy, or Zavist, written by Soviet writer Yuri Alesha, and it was published in 1927 in a journal. I highly recommend it. And we're going to read an excerpt from it. It's this, like, surreal, sort of grotesque, surreal narrative about a... The narrator is, like, living in the apartment of one of those... Well, I'm not sure if he's a net man, but a... He's he's not he's, he's not, not a, a net man. He's, he's an in the government. Yeah, okay. but he is planning a very cheap cafeteria. Yeah, so he <clears throat> he lives in the narrator. Like you're dropped right into a scene where the narrator is in the apartment of this guy who is like one of those ideologically driven men who is trying to like build you know the biggest kitchen ever or whatever and like right. He called we what is a bit like he wants to call it two bits is a bit a uh, a ruble like is that a familiar thing to you mm. he keeps saying like oh no it only cost two bits well it's not a ruble maybe a kopeck hmm. okay. i don't know because a ruble is a lot yeah maybe it is a ruble that that that's so a salary was like 100 or 150 rubles a month well then that can't be it must be mean something different then in any case, yeah, I, I feel like I remember talking about that, the translation as being bit, and I, I can't remember. But, yeah. You want right. to read? So, th- yeah, this particular passage, I, passage I've chosen is about a sausage. So, th- the <laughs> yeah. premise here is that the guy is the, the, this, like, government 
minister or whatever he is is, yeah, is like attending to like like food yeah. production whatever yeah. at some factory. is trying to like develop meals new types of meals that are really cheap and also nutrient rich imagine an ordinary tea sausage a fat perfectly round slice cut from the beginning of a hefty chunk at its blind end from the wrinkled casing tied in a knot hangs a string tail it's just a sausage weight probably a little more than a kilo a sweating surface, yellowish dots of under-the-casting fat. Where it's cut, the same fat looks like white specks. Babichev was holding the sausage in his hand. He was talking. Doors were opening. People were coming in. It was getting crowded. The sausage was resting in Babichev's raised pink hand like something alive. Great, isn't it? He inquired, addressing everyone at once. No, you have to look. Too bad Shapiro's not here. We have to call Shapiro. Ho, ho. Great. You called Shapiro? It's busy. Call again. Then the sausage was on the table. Babichev lovingly arranged its bedding, moving back and not taking his eye off it. He sat down in his armchair. He found it with his backside, dug his fists into the arms, and burst out laughing. Burst and burst out laughing. He raised a fist, saw the grease on it, and licked it. <laughs> Puts it in a bed. Yeah, the imagery. So I mean, I'm. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's so many like food related. Yeah, things. that's why I love it. I mean, I, of course, I would love a book where in like the first passage, there's like a whole ode to like an egg shaped window. <laughs> Remember <laughs> that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you live in New York, <laughs> in New York City, and you have a public library card, they have it on Kindle on eBooks. Get a library card and get books for free. Like you idiots. You idiots. Um, I said, oh, yeah. I had some other public service announcement, but it's a bit more nihilistic than my actual ones that are useful, which is basically like the whole boycotting Amazon thing is so dumb because they literally own everything. So like you can not buy stuff from Amazon if you want, but they literally like 5% of the internet runs on Amazon servers. And there, you can't do anything about. Yeah, it. you definitely can't boycott boycott Amazon fully. You can boy, you can boycott buying products from Amazon, which will support other businesses that you buy products from, like yeah. Walgreens. This is true, which is great. <laughs> Kmart. Yeah, and the thing, and the other thing was, uh, Izzy and I were looking at this up the other day, like the AWS, which is their Amazon Web Service. Yeah, yeah is Amazon, which is like all the servers and everything, does much better than like amazon the website so that's really where their money's coming from. you can't yeah that's like where they have really stable income where they're not like losing any money and yeah that's a good point i don't think people you know that you're and you're, you're yeah no people definitely do not know that and you're people think never, the internet is run by like not like companies. individuals i don't know yeah I don't, yeah, yeah. That would have been nice. It that, was like that at some point. I mean, you can do that, but that's not the way it works. Like, I mean, individual... Yeah, I mean, you could set up a server in your own house. Yeah. But you're not going to do that. Um, also, the other thing is that your like, adoption of Amazon, AWS, Amazon Web Services is like, you know, basically complete when it comes to startups and stuff. So... There's no way you're going to convince a startup not to use AWS. Like, okay, maybe only 5% of the internet is on AWS, but probably like 90-something percent of new products are on AWS. Is that just because it's better? 
Yeah, there's just, yeah, it is better. It's like they, the things they offer are expansive and they're always developing new things and they're developing like new technologies that don't exist on any other platforms. Like there's a few other server things like Google has servers and like, I think there's something called Azure, which I think is Microsoft, but Amazon web services, like there are whole companies that aren't Amazon that are built up around better integrating with Amazon. So it's just like, there's no, there's, there's no way it's, it's a lost cause. Yeah. And now we've just done a little like advertisement for Amazon web services. Yeah. 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 But Lily's right. Take your dollars and spend them elsewhere when it comes to Amazon marketplace. I mean, I'm not going to be one of those people, but I, I think it's laudable to do so. I mean, yeah, I do that by like, by virtue of living here mostly um but (laughs) it's I think it's good and I actually like the experience of going to stores so as much as Amazon is like stupid easy I yeah I you know it's not like hard to go to a store for me because I'm (laughs) able-bodied yeah it's it's wait what is it what is the word for when you're prejudiced against Handicapped people? I don't ableist. know. Ableist. It's oh. ableist to boyc- to tell people to boycott a- Amazon. Yeah, it is a little bit. <laughs> um, well, no one should be telling anyone to do anything. <laughs> True. We have to live siphoned private lives, okay? Running all red lights, that is the episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, you, you know all the things you're supposed to do. No, you don't. Follow us on Twitter and Telegram at Shoes in Russia. Give us money at patreon.com slash shoes in Russia. Please. And sign up for our, please, and sign up for our monthly image-based newsletter at shoesinrussia.com. Thank you to all of you who support us on Patreon. Mm -hmm. We really appreciate it. And we love you. you. And we're going to use the money to pay a translator once we find them and to fund various expeditions so that we can do stuff outside of Petersburg Mm -hmm. and New York. Yup. 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 All right. I'm stopping recording. Okay, goodbye. Oh, so nice. I'm always like, thanks. You're Jack. still <laughs> suckling off the teeth. Oh yeah, I suckle. Like basically, every time <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> every time I'm like, thanks, Jenny, and he's like, thank you, Mother Reed. I'm like, thank you, Mother Reed. <laughs> That's the ritual. Yeah.